The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. Isaiah 59 in your scriptures. I'm going to read the text for us this morning. Beginning with verse 14. And judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth far off, for truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Yea, truth faileth, and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. And he saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as with cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. To the islands he will repay recompense. So shall they... Fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. And the Redeemer shall come to Zion. And unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord, my spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, seed, saith the Lord, henceforth and forever. The word of the Lord. Now, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, and that by your Holy Spirit, gospel of our Lord would be clear. In the blessed name of Jesus we pray, amen. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ears heavy that it cannot hear. That's how Isaiah 59 begins. And the chapter is a large discussion around the question, if there is so much injustice in the world, does that mean that God cannot save? Today's sermon might actually have great significance for New York Jet fans in our congregation. 
because uh, as was announced this past week, future Hall of Fame quarterback Aaron Rodgers is mercifully no longer a Green Bay Packer, but is now the quarterback of the New York Jets, has a redeemer arrived. Will redemption come to long-suffering New York Jet fans? Time will tell. Time, of course, is important to any discussion about deliverance. And here's why. When God told Israel that he would send a redeemer to them, it would be 700 years before the redeemer actually came. 700 years is a long time. A long time. And you know how it is with having to wait for something as disappointment or discouragement might come in and the, tent, the situation grows more tense. And soon you feel hopeless. Is God's hand shortened that it cannot save? Is his ear heavy that it cannot hear? Time and tension then get us to the big idea of this sermon, which is how God, in wisdom, uses time and issues that appear to be unresolved, those things that create tension. How God, in wisdom, uses time and tension to deepen our faith. To deepen our faith. The tension that is felt 700 years before the coming of Jesus, is ours to wrestle with as well today, now some 2,000 years after the resurrection of Jesus, because as the Bible proclaims, that God will set right what is wrong through the crucified, risen Lord. And I don't know about you, as you read the headlines, but our present situation does not appear to be one in which things that are wrong have been set right. Caught the news this morning of a woman's death in Mississippi. Significant, because in 1955, that woman walked out of a grocery store and a 14-year-old black boy who had been visiting his relatives, him being from Chicago, offended the white woman. He whistled at her. Shortly thereafter, that woman's husband and another relative took that 14-year-old boy and beat him unrecognizable. Hung him by the neck. And threw him in a river. Emmett Till. It's interesting, isn't it, what we allow to remain in our thinking about our nation and what we don't think very often about. And the woman who accused the boy died without ever actually offering any apology to any of the family that remains. 
We read situations like that and we wonder. How is it that justice is ever going to be achieved? I listened to a man on the internet with his young boy in his lap, indoctrinating him with the language of the day so that he would know how to speak affirming language to little children who are being taken to doctors and having their body parts changed out. Educators, legislatures, believe this is the right course of action. And I don't know how you read the headlines, but our present situation does not seem to be one in which those things that are wrong are being set right. And I understand and I know because I read Isaiah a lot and I read chapter 55 twice a month. I know that God's ways are above our ways and we know that the, God's thoughts are above our thoughts. But if we rush to that as an explanation and we don't grapple with the obvious difficulty of what it means to believe in a God who waits, to believe in a God who uses time and tension to deepen our faith, then we will risk missing new things and new possibilities that I preached about on Easter Sunday because it is through the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that new things and new possibilities and new life come even in the midst of time and tension. So we got to begin by asking the question, why did God send, uh, promise to send a redeemer in the first place? And if you look at verse number 14 and verse number 15, you get a pretty clear understanding that judgment is turned backward and justice stands far off and truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. The assessment by the thrice holy God that Isaiah introduced us to in chapter number 6 is that this God has an argument against his people and we don't have to guess at the root cause of God's displeasure. God tells us in six different ways. It is as if God took out a thesaurus and said to Isaiah, we need to paint a word, words, with, uh, paint a picture with words so that there is no lack of clarity as to my displeasure. I mean, look, look at what God says displeases him. Truth faileth. He that departs from evil makes himself a prey. Even if you want to do the right thing, you put yourself at risk. The Lord saw it. It displeased him. There's no judgment. There's no, no judgment. I, I should have started reading, I'm sorry, from verse number 14. Judgment is turned away backward and justice stands far off. Truth fallen in the street and equity cannot answer. I don't know how you read your headlines, but that sounds a lot like our headlines. But I want to be clear about something. It isn't God's displeasure that creates tension or should create tension for the reader. The tension is found in trying to understand 
why God would wait 700 years to rectify a situation he is obviously so displeased about. I can't have a light bulb out in my house for 30 minutes without my wife saying, when are you going to change the light bulb? And rightfully so. She wants the situation rectified. Dripping sinks, whatever it might be, right? How long does it take for us to act with situations that we feel strongly about? You read the scripture and you say, hold on just a second. God was very clear on what he's displeased with, and yet he waits 700 years before he begins to bring the answer. That's a tension that we as Christians have to wrestle with. But then, and then you think about the second point of tension. When God did send a saving redeemer, the saving redeemer shows up housed in the womb of the Virgin Mary. As, as if to say, well, what's another nine months after waiting 700 years? But then you have to ask, what possible salvation could come from people with no power, no position, no place in society? And so we have the thrice holy God making a promise. He's going to bear his arm. He is going to bring salvation through a redeemer. And he gives us a redeemer that doesn't look like a redeemer at all. But then there's a third point of tension for some. In verse number 18, this promise of judgment. According to their deeds, accordingly he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, to the islands he will repay recompense. Some readers might, might listen to that and they might say, well, wait a second, I thought God was a God of love. What is this, what is this stuff about judgment? I thought we were supposed to turn the other cheek. Don't give us this God of the Old Testament, give us the God in the New Testament that's all about love. What's this thing about judgment? So we have these three points of tension in this little section of Isaiah. And these all are issues that are hard to understand. They are hard to explain, especially in light of God's willingness to wait in order to resolve them. And then here you might be a little disappointed. But my point in the sermon is not to answer those points of tension. My, my point is to tell you that they exist and that points of tension exist in our lives as well today. There are things that are hard to understand. There are things that are seemingly unexplainable happening and we scratch our head and we say, well, God, where are you? Why aren't you stepping in? God, why aren't you doing something about it? And the point of the sermon then is to help us to say that through the hard to explain things, through the time of God waiting, that is where faith grows stronger. Faith does not grow stronger when God just immediately answers, immediately resolves, immediately takes care of our need. You know, research has shown 
and I would be a prime example of this, by the way, but research has shown that people tend to gravitate towards the familiar because we already know the outcomes. Some of you have every episode of the Andy Griffith Show memorized, and you can just say it, and you know the outcome. You know Barney's going to mess up, but it's going to be okay at the end, and Andy's going to love Opie, and you know it's all going to work out, and that brings you comfort. They feel like your family. You know these people, like you actually live in Mayberry, right? I mean, this is what researchers tell us. This is why people love to continue to watch shows that they've watched over and over and over again or read books that they've read over and over again or that they, you know, like movies that they've seen and they watch them over and over because they already know how it's going to work out. I was, I was having a very tough time last night. My adopted uh, hockey team, the Toronto Maple Leafs, are now in overtime last night against... Uh, their arch rival, the Tampa Bay Lightning, and I'm sitting there watching. I'm like, well, I know what's going to happen. They're going to lose because this is the history. They've lost, they've lost, they've lost, they've lost. And I was just like, i got to turn it off. I can't handle the anxiety anymore. Thankfully, I watched because, lo and behold, right, the, the blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then, and they won. But then that creates a whole different set of problems, Right? As Bible-believing Christians, it is true that we should and do have confidence in God and that in God's time, the tensions and difficulties of life will be resolved. But my point is that if we kind of mindlessly race into the Scriptures, into the familiar things of Scripture, and we just have already arrived at the positive end of the conclusion of it, and we don't actually wrestle with the challenges and difficulties, faith won't be growing very deep in our lives. One of the most freeing and helpful discoveries that I have made in the scriptures over the past few years is to see, and this is especially true in the resurrection stories, and we, and we actually saw it in Elijah's story, to see how Jesus draws faith out of people who are in tense and difficult situations by waiting and allowing them to wrestle and grapple with things. That he doesn't make it easy for them, but he brings them into himself by intentionally creating a point of tension. And you should be reading the resurrection stories through these great 50 days of Easter and familiarizing yourself over and again with those stories, that's a good thing. But see the point of tension in them. Don't just race to the end. Oh, Jesus rose from the dead. I get to rise from the dead too. Live with the tension that the people felt. Mary, when she goes to the tomb, thinking she's seeing the gardener. And Jesus doesn't immediately say, Hey, Mary, it's me. I don't have anything to worry about. No. He allows her to sit with the difficulty. He travels. He walks with the People on the road to Emmaus, their eyes are covered as it were to knowing who he was and they are asking questions and discussing things back and forth and Jesus allows this to unfold. He allows to bring them into the difficulty of their doubt and their fear and their anxiety over what had happened to Jerusalem over those last days. 
Thomas wasn't with the disciples, as we learned last week in Jude's sermon, when Jesus first appeared to them. It's eight days later. He lives with this tension for eight days. And then it's even longer after that before Peter gets, right, reconciled with Jesus. But we are such an instant culture, wanting to, things to be, you know, instantly resolved and our needs to be, you know, met so, so quickly that we, we struggle, don't we? With wrestling with a God who waits. A God who allows for 700 years his people to suffer, to be dispersed before he sends his redeemer. And now on the back end of some 2,000 years, we the church sit here believing that we have a message of hope. And thinking about the patriarch Jacob, one commentator wrote, never trust a person who doesn't limp. You remember the story of Jacob? Jacob wrestles all night long with God. And he's not going to let God go until God blesses him. And then God touches Jacob's thigh and, and it pops out a socket, right? And Jacob's name blesses the place and then Jacob walks with a limp the rest of his life. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Because his faith grew. It was deepened. And if our little wrestling match this morning with some difficult words from Isaiah and challenging things about the time and culture in which we live have created a bit of a limp in our lives and that is good because as God does things or waits to do things we need to be praying that he will help our faith to grow deeper into the redeemer who did in fact come to Zion that Jesus born of the Virgin Mary, living that perfect life, dying that sinner's death, being raised on the third day from the dead, showing himself alive by many proofs, ascending into his Father's presence in heaven, where he is exalted and glorified today, did exactly as God said he would do. He put on the unrighteousness as a breastplate. He put on the helmet of salvation. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing, clad with zeal as with a cloak, and through the work of Christ and his church, he is overturning the kingdom of darkness. He did so in his death. And when he breathed his last breath, he breathed out life so that life would come to all who are willing to turn from their sins and to look with faith to him, just as the centurion who cried out, that's God, <laughs> that's God. So here we are today, Bible-believing Christians wanting to have all the answers, and we think we need all the answers, and we better get them all today. It all worked out. But when Jesus walked out of the tomb, the second Adam, the new man, and Jesus had accomplished everything that was necessary for salvation to one, and that salvation goes out to the nations, it shows up as justice and truth and equity and judgment, and through Jesus, God has indeed set right what has been put wrong. And yet we are still waiting, aren't we? And what are you waiting for? 
What, th- what thing creates the tension or the difficulty or the anxiety in your life that you want God to step into powerfully and resolve powerfully and, and you pray, right? And you wait and you're tr- trying to trust God for that and it just seems like, right? Nothing's happening. And the answer is let that draw you deeper into faith to see Jesus more clearly as the one who indeed has come and has taken action on our behalf so that then we can respond to him and we too can take righteous action in the midst of a world gone mad. We as representatives of Jesus Christ are then to trust in the righteousness of God to us as we step out into this world that is mad. It is a mad thing for a dad to try to re-indoctrinate his little child with vocabulary so that that little child will not offend anyone with new language about the horrors that are happening in our world today with children who are being taken and changed into something they're not. It's an evil thing. And yet we have to pray. And we have to act righteously. And we have to remember to wait and to trust God into the challenges and difficulties. To go to the movie on that Friday night, to listen to the appeal by Next Steps, who are trying to stand in the gap of the horror of abortion. And the difficulties that single moms have in in trying to care for children. We need to act righteously with those things. Because we are the physical manifestation of Jesus. The one who won victory over the dark forces. And so we wrestle. And I commend your wrestling with the brokenness that is all around us. But as you wrestle and faith is deepened, let it be deepened into the Redeemer who did in fact come and the Redeemer who is coming again and will indeed complete God's work. The promise is certain in verse 21. A covenant promise has been made. The Spirit of God is upon us and that promise will be carried out It will not depart out of the mouth of God, nor out of our mouth, nor out of the mouth of those who come after us, because the Lord has said it, and it will be a promise for all eternity. And so let us preach Christ the victor. You know, I've got to tell you, I'm really frustrated because I love preaching Easter sermons, and this is going to be it for me for the rest of the month, or for the month of May. And Brian's going to do a good job, Mike's going to do a good job, but i got to tell you, I love preaching Easter sermons, and, well, I just can't because of the surgery coming up. Fine. But let us remember as those sermons are being preached that Christ is the victor. He is the one through whom all tensions in life will indeed be resolved. He is the one through whom all injustices will be set right. Now, for you you know, long-suffering Jet fans. Aaron Rodgers might, he might bring you a Super Bowl victory, but then again, you know, you do have a history. You do have a history. But to us Christians, I can say this. 
regardless of the history of the world. The church can say that victory is ours through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so let us become who we are in Christ Jesus, more than conquerors through him who loved us. Father, I thank you for the word that was given today. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you might use it to deepen our faith, to help us, to encourage us to know that regardless of the situations and circumstances we face, that you, O oh God, will make them right. Pray this in your blessed name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.